Welcome to Make the Game. My name is Matt Hackett. Thanks so much for being here. We are now 10 episodes in, which seems like a good time to start season two, where the theme is food. To celebrate, I'll include one of my own custom recipes with my newsletter, email only, during season two. Sign up at valadria.com. Coming up is an entire episode about food and cooking and how that relates to game development. But today we're talking with David Stark, the developer of Airships Conquer the Skies. Let's jump in. You're listening to Make the Game with Matt Hackett. Uh, well, David, thanks for joining me today. Uh, it's really good of you to be here. I'm excited to talk about your game, uh, Airship, <coughs> pardon me, Airships Conquer the Skies. Uh, but first, I think it's fun to do some icebreakers, and um, I thought it might be fun to ask you, um, what are some of your favorite video games? Sure. Um, so there's a few games which I play kind of obsessively. There's uh, most recently RimWorld. Um, I like games about horrible things happening to small simulated people. Uh, and so there's also Crusader Kings for kind of the same reason. And the other one I've been playing a lot is um, Vintage Story which is kind of like Minecraft, but it's more kind of survival focused, uh, which really just hooks into my weird interests in like history and uh, it's kind of technological development. Like when did people develop pottery? What was that even like? All that kind of thing. Ooh, I love that. Um, have you heard of a game? It's a card game, a real life card card game. It's called um, Timeline. Does that ring any bells? Um, maybe, maybe. Um, I have... I've played a, maybe a similar one, or maybe I'm just misremembering the name. You sort of put down these cards and kind of develop technologies. Is it kind of like that? Yeah, it's like um, my wife and I would play this. Uh, we played this version of Timeline. It was uh, just inventions. And so you get these cards and it would be like, you know, when was, you know, when, when was the pottery wheel invented? Or, you know, when was the, the you know, shaving razor invented? And mm -hmm. you put them in the timeline. You have to sort them by like when they came out. Sounds like something you'd like. Uh, oh yeah, that sounds fun actually. Yeah. 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 I uh I really like sort of weird, weird, weird um process of inventing things. Like for example, if you want to, you can ask me about uh matches. Um the history of matches is absolutely horrifying. Very cool. Right, wait, matches, do you mean like like uh the kind that you use to light a fire? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Oh wow, yeah. Uh, let's maybe get into that later. Um uh, what was the thing I was gonna say? Uh matches. Um, oh well, let's uh, let's get into this one. Um, what's some of your favorite uh, foods? What are, what are some of your favorite dishes to eat? I'm obsessed with food recently, especially. Oh uh, yeah, yeah. Um, pertains to game development. Um, so I mean, I definitely like Indian food. That's that's what I what I just had. Um, oh cool. What I just had now. Um, um, and yeah, I mean, I think one of my one of my favorite dishes is this. Um, it's this pasta dish, which is made uh, with a kind of a sauce made out of grated zucchini with uh, spinach balls in it. it it's very tasty. Ooh. It's uh, it's one of the dishes that's technically vegetarian, uh, but also it's actually mostly cheese. So um, oh, I love it. it's it's probably not actually good for you, but it's very tasty. Oh, that's the best kind of food, right? And uh, do you do any cooking on your own? Yeah, absolutely. I do quite a lot of cooking. I really, I, I probably much like you, I really enjoy doing something kind of physical with my hands, which isn't, you know, like we're programming you out there and you're, you're, you're thinking about all these abstract concepts. Yes. It's really nice to just chop some vegetables. You've chopped the vegetables. Yes. Something with them, you, you get know. that tactile feeling like 
chopping celery or yeah exactly yes spinning a, a stirring up a stew with your hands like a wooden spoon it feels good yeah mm. oh i love that yeah i found um i know it's not everybody but a lot of game developers i've found are into uh, other things like like cooking and also like music making and stuff it's like uh i feel like the creativity we try to stuff into game development sometimes explodes out of it into other areas in life you know yeah absolutely and i think anything anything you can do with your hands anything that sort of feels like um like i mean as a, as a game developer you're always trying to be you're always trying to abstract as much as you can you're always trying to you know be clever about things and it's really nice to do something where actually you can't really be clever you're just gonna have to put in the work oh i love that yeah yeah I, I watch a ton of cooking shows and they're always telling the uh the contestants they're like you know less is more simple fewer ingredients right like um i love the challenges where it's like uh, I, I have a cooking book it's called um i think it's five and five but it's uh you have five minutes and you get five ingredients and, and the dishes are, are uh, made around that. Mm -hmm. And I, I love that kind of stuff because, you know, as game developers, we have a tendency to put everything, you know, over scope, you know, stuff. Oh, yeah, so much so, yes. <laughs> I love that. I also like that um, this is a segue into game dev, I swear. But, um, you know, I can go into the into the kitchen and cook for half an hour and I have a finished product. Right. Whereas like video games, you know, I, I think we, we were talking somewhere on Twitter or something, but it was like uh, nine years that you've been working on on yes. airships, Conquer the Skies. And like, yes. I, I love that, you know, with food, you can crank it out. You know, you could make in those nine years you've been working on your game, you might have made a thousand cheeseburgers. Right. And so I, I like to kind of compare and contrast the things. Um, so good segue into uh Airships Conquer the Skies. Um, super interesting game. I have so many um, questions for you. It's um, it, 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 it's such an interesting case. I was just playing your game yesterday, actually. Mm -hmm. um, super cool. Uh, I was kind of researching it a little bit. Uh, la you launched on Steam August 16th, 2018. Um, so that's a healthy chunk of time away. That's that's four years, right? It's actually worse than that. That's the... Um, that's the... A 1.0 release, the original early access release was uh, back in 2015. Oh, interesting. So they, okay, I didn't know that about Steam. Um, I used to be on Steam all the time back when I had other mm. other indie games and stuff. And, and now I'm like, I'm getting back into it. Um, so I guess, yeah, I guess the date there shows the date that you went like, so you went V10, is that what Yeah, that exactly. Was? So it stopped being early access, which... I feel it is a bit of an arbitrary uh, milestone, but uh, I felt like, okay, yeah, now we can stand behind it and say, like, okay, it's... Good and I kept on working on it anyway. Yeah. Um, so I'm fascinated by that, especially. So, like, some of the things that are different about airships is, um, I think, for one, uh, you know, as a consumer, when gamers come into your page, one of the first things they're going to notice is that this is a premier game. At the $25 price point, is really interesting, especially, you know, have you heard of like Vampire Survivors? There's this wave of mm -hmm. hyper casual games coming in and they're like three bucks. And you wonder like, how how does anyone pay the bills with uh, with such a small price tag? Um, and $25 is one of the higher ones I've seen for indie games. And it still seems to be selling really strong over, over 4,000 reviews. And I think that's amazing. I, I'm very impressed by that. Um, and I was wondering like, have you had pushback on the price? Is it, um, are, are, are users happy? Um, so yeah, I went up from uh, 15 to $25, uh, like about a year ago or so. And I was 
kind of scared if people were going to go, oh, no, no, this is too much. And before when it was $15, I actually got uh, some comments saying like this game is really cheap. And uh, that's not happening anymore. But I haven't really heard any comments saying, oh, this game is too expensive. Really? So, uh, so I think that's fine. And I would say that for indie games, from what I've seen, the sort of the, the pain boundary is like $30. Like if you're going to go above $30, people are really going to be a bit like, hmm? Um, and then, yeah, it, it's, I mean, I, I so I, I like to think about this. You have to think about it from two perspectives. One is the sort of perspective of um, of a player who's sort of thinking of it in terms of like how much is this worth to me, and then the other perspective like is sort of well, um, what price point is actually going to get you? Um, well, how much price point is going to get you the most money? Like if you just start look at it very coldly, and you basically look at how many units it will sell and you multiply it by the amount of money and then ideally find the magical amount uh, where number of units times price is the highest number. Um, but of course in practice it's not that simple because uh, people understandably have feelings and opinions about how much uh, games ought to cost. Yeah, exactly. Uh, can I ask when you launched an early access, was it paid, and, and was it if so, was the price lower than the the fifteen dollars it was previously at? Yeah, so um, the very first version was available on HIO in like uh, early twenty fourteen, and that was five dollars. And then in twenty fifteen, uh, on Steam it was ten. I went up to fifteen after a few years, and now to twenty five. So I. I all, I made the decision specifically that I always wanted it to be paid because I felt that there was this danger that if I may, went from unpaid to paid, I would lose everyone because they'd be like, oh, now it costs money. So right. build up this huge community of people who liked it because it was free and then I would lose them all. So it was like, okay, right from the start, you, know, you don't have to pay that much, but I want you to pay something. I think that worked pretty well. Very interesting. Wow. Yeah, I didn't know it at first launched on itch. And so... Has it been the kind of thing where, um, like the early access style, or even starting with itch, like the, the development's been kind of paid for by by the fans to push it forward? Yes, eventually. So I, I mean, I started out um, doing um, doing contract work, uh, non game related stuff, uh, web development, tool development, and so on. And so I financed the first maybe two years or so of development like that, um, and then eventually the game became successful enough that I could kind of ramp down on doing doing contract work. And uh, nowadays I basically support myself from it. But I think it's a very important Amazing. question with, with, with indie games. You know, it's always like, well, how, how do you pay your bills? Um, because, um, yeah, even if you have a game that's eventually successful, you still need to somehow pay for making it in the first place. Yeah, exactly. Like that upfront cost. Yeah, that, that's currently what I'm doing is I, I worked so for several years at a you know decent paying job and sacked money away. And I've got about a, another year and a half or so runway um, to make my game. And uh, yeah, that is something uh, a lot of indies got to figure out. I, I think a, a kind of hidden secret among indies, too, is, you know, you, you'll see like someone's Twitter page and they're like, yeah, I'm a full time indie. But then like the secret is there's a ton of contract work. Right. And like um, some of these two will have like a full time job, but they don't even like they won't even tell you about it. 
Right, for some yeah, reason. absolutely. And I think it's I think it's a very bad attitude because it really gives people the wrong impression. There was uh, I can't remember now. There was a British game developer who uh, tweeted recently saying, "Well, actually, in the UK, there's like multiple well-known indie game developers who are literally land owning gentry. So like they come from like old money, and that's okay. Yeah, that's oh, financing it. Obviously, not everyone is like that, but if you don't." Uh, Tell people about this if you're not open about it. You can really give people a very wrong impression. It can be really dangerous. Yeah, that's a great point. Yeah, I, I like the honesty, like the transparency. Um, so here, here's a question. So, so this is a game that you've been working on, wow, since 2014. Is that right? Or is it? Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. That? Yeah, 2013, in fact, yes. Wow. And so um, do you have a... a, a a cadence to your updates? Do, do they just happen when they happen or do you try to do it, you know, monthly or how do, how do you handle your updates? Because there must have been so many over the years, right? Yeah, so I, I've i never committed to a, like a specific cadence because I felt, well, you know, sometimes some stuff is easy and sometimes it's hard. I don't want to tell people, oh, there's going to be one every month. Um, and generally, the way it works is that I basically do big updates that uh, add features. And then there's a flurry of small updates that fix the bugs I introduced with the new features. Love it. That's basically how it works. And with the very big update I did uh, like a month ago, um, there it was this whole process where I basically was running two versions of the game separately, um, two separate code bases for years. And that was that was very wow. painful. Uh, I don't actually recommend doing that at all. How did how did that come to be? How did why did the two code bases uh, exist together? So basically, I wanted there were a bunch of features I still wanted to put into the game, like uh, co-op combat and uh, diplomacy mm. and uh, a more kind of detailed map. And I felt that instead of sort of drip drip feeding this into the game. It would be much better if I basically did one big update and added these things at once. Also because they were connected to each other. Also because I felt that if I make one big update, that gives people a reason to actually come back to the game and be like, oh, this is cool, rather than like, oh, here's another feature. But that meant in practice, of course, I had to do a huge amount of work sort of off to the side while simultaneously still fixing bugs and adding smaller feature to, to the main game. I see. Yeah, makes sense. Have you have, have you merged those together? Is it is it back to a, the one? Track? Yes, yes, it is now. They're extremely happy about I'm it. I'm very happy. It was a huge you. amount of overhead, which is why I said <laughs> I recommend it. Um, that's a that's a while, while talking about the tech. I, I noticed it was built in Java. Um, mm -hmm. Very cool. It gets you that sweet cross platform. It's on Windows. It's on OS X. It's on. Uh, I was playing out my Steam Deck, which runs um, Linux, which is very cool. Um, how did you learn Java? Did you go to school or, or are you self-taught? Uh, yeah, I, um, I learned from Java at university. And then I actually worked so several years as a Java developer doing uh, user interfaces and other stuff like that, uh, web stuff. Um, so I kind of knew it from, from my normal work. And then when I wanted to make games, it was sort of a natural uh, choice to go for. I uh, didn't want to get into, you know, learning C or C++. Um, Unity back then was like just about starting to be a thing, but it was more like a, 
oh, it's this weird thing that you can use on the Mac to make web games and not like, oh, the, 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 the game engine everyone uses. Right. Um, so, yeah, so, so it's, uh, going with Java um, certainly made sense, even though, I mean, there's actually very few games apart from Minecraft that uh, have actually been developed in Java. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think uh, that's really interesting to see. I, I love that like Java is cross-platform. Um, my understanding is it's relatively nice to work with because it's um, clean and organized, if, if a bit verbose. It's uh, I use C Sharp and Unity, and I've heard they have a lot in common, Java. Oh, yes, extremely. C-sharp. I mean, yeah. I've, I've done uh, work with Unity since, and it was like, yeah, this is just Java, isn't it? Um, so, yeah. Nice. Uh, here's a question. Would you make your next game in Java as well? Or are you tired of the of the tech stack? Um, hmm. This is actually a question I've been asking myself a lot. So, oh, really? Not Java, not because of the tech stack, but because of the problem of just it not being well supported on the desktop. Mm. Um, basically, Microsoft worked very hard to destroy Java on the desktop um, because they saw it as a threat. Um, Apple eventually kind of joined in on the uh, kicking it. And um, nowadays, Java is basically a server-side technology. It's, mm. it's, it, it gets used a lot in uh, enterprise programming servers and so on. So it's uh, alive and well there. But if you actually want to do Java-based game development, you're just extremely by yourself. You know, if, if something goes wrong, it's like well, no one knows where, where the problem is. No, you're just you're the only person using this technology stack for. Um, I know of like one other developer who uh, is actively using Java for new projects, and it's just like okay, that's like two of us. Um, so it's just from that practical point of view, would use something else, but I don't actually know what that something else is going to be. Um, uh, if you asked me a year ago, I would have said Unity, but Unity has done so much recently, has had so much bad press, has done so much recently. What are they thinking? Um, to just sort of say, well, we don't really care about that core product. And I hear so much screaming from, from friends on Twitter and so on about how it's really awful to work with that I really don't know. Maybe, maybe Unity, maybe Godot, maybe Unreal, maybe something else. But I don't know at this point. Interesting. Yeah, I, that's that's so relatable. I think a lot of developers are in that um, that ship right now where they're like, okay, I, I can tell I don't want to move forward with what I currently have. And for a lot of people, that's Unity because they're making such stupid decisions. And they're even like moving away from games a bit, right? The- yeah, yeah. I th- yeah, I think the problem is that uh, their main source of income isn't games. And so uh, it's very tempting to have kind of a, a tail wagging the dog kind of a thing where uh, they focus on everything that isn't actually what's meant to be their core product. Right. Yeah, it's 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 very strange. Like, it's, it's so annoying, too, because I've spent years now learning Unity. And my yes, hope absolutely. is that... Yeah, like Godot seems to be, you know, borrowing heavily from Unity's UX. So I'm hoping that transition down the road to free open source software, which wouldn't that be amazing? Yes, absolutely. I've used it a bit and I'm actually really, really happy with it. Um, it's nice. not perfect, but it, it's it's actually pretty nice. Um, I think one, one uh, problem that is definitely going to have lo- even long term is just if you want to, if you ever want to target consoles, 
then we've got a, you're kind of lost because of the proprietary APIs you have to integrate with. So. Yeah, I think that'll be a, a problem for a lot of people down the road. That's one of the factors, like, you know, it's one of my dreams of dreams to get one of my own handmade games onto uh, Switch, which I've got right here. Like, I'm a big yeah. Nintendo fan. As you can probably tell back here, I'm a big Nintendo oh, fan. Oh, yes, yes, I can, yes. Yeah, you can't see. I don't know why you can't see. There's a Game Boy here, but there's a Rob the Robot. It's off screen for some reason. But Oh, uh, yes, I can see indeed your shrine, yes. Yeah. So like I, I want to do it. And like, you know, previously I was using like a JavaScript HTML5 tech stack, which is like, from what I've heard, it's still possible, but you know how it is. It's like mm -hmm. the difference between Unity, which is like ready to go games already on Switch and every console you can imagine versus, you know, almost any other platform. Uh, there's always like, oh, great for everything, but you're never going to get it on Android or you're never going to get it on consoles or whatever that is. Mm -hmm. uh, I have heard some whispers about, I think it's called W4, but there's a new, like a corporate entity has sprung up to support, like from out of Godot has sprung up to support just specifically that proprietary console integration. So I'm like, hey, that, that could be a thing. That could be good because for me, it's, you know, I, I am not in this life to be a console porting programmer. I don't want to have to recreate all of this knowledge from scratch. So if you give me, if, if I can give you a reasonable amount of money to fix this problem for me, then yeah, sure, please. Exactly, yeah, yeah, totally. So um, I would love to talk about the game itself. I've, I've always wanted to talk about the tech and how it's made craft and stuff, <laughs> but uh, this is such a fascinating game. Um, I was playing it yesterday. I was, uh, I noticed your tutorial alone, it has like a bigger scope than a lot of entire indie games because there's just so much to offer there, right? You've got user interface you've got um, all these different mechanics to walk the player through i love how there's like customization in every step of the way you know like any two people who play the game will play it in drastically different ways and design their ships in, in completely different ways right um mm -hmm. so cool here's a question because the game so the game has a lot of surface area right there's there's missions there's there's a, a main uh campaign um uh, that the tutorial stuff. How do you handle? How do you handle that that giant surface area and, and bring that all home? You know what I mean? How do you um? How do how do you handle? Because it's a it's a big game, right? Yeah, it absolutely is. I mean, it's you know in a genre of like real time strategy, even grand strategy, which usually you know is handled by like teams and not not individuals. And I mean, the, the simple answer is well, that's why it took nine years. Fair enough. Yeah, that's that's a simple answer. Um, and yeah, otherwise it's um, trying to be smart about where to where to put effort, um, which I haven't always been. There's definitely been. There's a few features in the game where I sometimes wonder if I just should not have committed to them at all. Um, and uh, yeah, apart from that, I try to be very in touch with my user community and um, get a lot of feedback. And one of the things that's kind of tricky but important is also um, basically teaching them how to give better feedback and give better bug reports. Because, you know, players are human beings, they're like, oh, this, is, this doesn't work well. But um, of course, what I need ideally is some really professional bug report, which has all this information in. And so for people who've been with the game for a long time, I really put an effort saying like, okay, if you want these problems fixed, then here's all the information you need to give me. 
And there's definitely born fruit that I feel, you know, we have a much better report now. They understand what I need from them. And then in return, uh, they get their problems fixed and I can actually listen to them and not just be like, mm, well, well, that sounds bad, but I don't know how to fix it. Interesting. Yeah. Like a lot of gamers will just say, you know, it's broken or it doesn't work. Oh, and yes, like, absolutely. Well, help me out here. Like from the developer's perspective, it's like, what what kind of computer are you on? What's like what operating system version? What version of the game are you on? Do you have enough memory? What are your computer stats? What are the steps to reproduce? Do you have a video to go with it? Like just this laundry list of, of things we yeah. want other than like the gamer. I mean, it makes perfect sense if, if you're not, if you've never touched development, you don't know anything about it and you just want to play a video game. You're like, that's just, that's your starting point is, Hey, it's broken. But to us, that's like, that's not helpful. Like I can't, I can't fix it's broken. Right. I can fix a page of information perhaps. Right. Yeah. For me, the, um, for me, like a big click moment was, for like a decade ago and I was working on a different game and uh, some people trying it out and it was this uh, this sort of um, interactive uh, fiction game uh, in the science fiction universe and you could send down your away team to a planet and then one of the away team members would be attacked by this creature and they'd be injured and like if you had a doctor you could like help them but sometimes the crew member who was injured was the doctor and then that was you know a bigger problem Mm. And they got this feedback message saying, like, look, this is so badly written. This is so unfair. Why did you program it? So it's always the doctor who gets injured. I was like, I didn't. <laughs> I was like, okay, yeah, yeah, sure enough. I mean, okay, if like a thousand people play this, there's going to be some poor sub who, like, three times in a row, they play this mission and each time the doctor gets injured. And from their point of view, of course, this has to be deliberate, right? Interesting. Uh, from my point of view, it's like, no, this is just random chance. So one of the, one of the things is also that people assume that the experience with the game is typical and normal, and it might right. actually be some weird edge case, but they will talk to you as if their weird experience was the intended one, which can be a big source of confusion. That's a great point. Yeah, because to them, it's, it's almost as if you hard-coded it. And yeah, when they simulate your game in their head, they're like, you set this situation up for me. And you're like, no, no, I know how it works. That's literally a random call. Yeah, yeah. Um, you just got extremely unlucky. Yeah. And like when I'm playing a game, sometimes I'm trying to figure out, you know, what I'm doing wrong or what the problem is. Sometimes in your head, you'll be like, you know, is that random or is that hard coded? Or is there a way, like if, if I wait a certain amount of time, like what changes that from happening? Right. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times gamers don't know that's how that's kind of how it works. I think it's especially interesting with, the, you know, roguelikes are bigger than ever. And the whole thing is it's very random. And so, you know, each experience a player has um, will be different than another player. And, you know, that's been a hard thing to explain to people. Right. Um, some of the some of the words we've seen is like uh, ever changing levels and stuff like that, because, you know, you and I will say things like procedural generation. We know what that means. But a gamer might be like, what generate what? Right. Mm -hmm. So we kind of have to like break through the jargon and help people understand like, no, it's different every time you play and every time they play. Um, I love that. Have you found that, like, I noticed you've got a community, obviously Steam gives you a pre-built community um, and then itch gives you the option to enable your community. And so it looks like you've got two thriving communities going there. And so do you, do you manage them both? Like, do you, do you go and spend time in those communities and do you have like a schedule with that or do you just kind of do it ad hoc? I just do it ad hoc. I would say the, um, the most important one is probably Discord these days. Um, the, the game is a pretty active Discord. Um, 
And um, with Steam, I will just pop in every few days, or like often, more often when I can, and I will answer questions and so on. And that's pretty easy. With Discord, the community is big enough that, uh, that there's like uh, volunteer moderators and everything because it's oh, a, great. it's a big enough community that you actually have to moderate it and. Um, and you know that's also that's also really nice. It's really is a community now, not just a, oh yeah yeah. There's some people. Um, there's definitely, you know, because the game's so old. You know, you know, have people who've known each other playing this game for half a decade or something. Oh wow, yeah, that's that's really interesting. Um, my buddy and I used to, to podcast. We started uh, like 2011, and so I've got uh, you know a, a fair chunk of listeners who who who've stayed with me the whole time in this new Make the Game podcast. They're listening too, right? And mm -hmm. what's interesting has been so much time has passed. It's been a decade now that a lot of them were like, I was listening to your show and I was making my first game and now they've got careers. I'm like, oh, that, that's 10 years. Yeah. In 10 years, you get yourself a whole career. You could graduate college and, you know, you've been in a company for six years. Like, yeah, that's really interesting. Time passes and, and the people change along with that time. Um, here's a question. So I noticed your game is translated into several um, different languages. Very cool. Um, what has that localization been like for you? Um, it's been kind of difficult. I mean, I definitely, as as someone, my, my first language is German, so you know, I sort of feel like you know, um, it's definitely good to have this localization in. Um, it's a game it, because it has so much user interface. There is a lot of text. There are several thousand uh, lines of text that need to be translated, and. Um, the hard thing about game translation is that um, you can get professional translators and they'll give you really high quality in terms of like the language being correct, but they haven't played your game or haven't played it intensively. And so sometimes they just miss the context. Um, sometimes it's funny results um, where it's just like, no, that's not, that's not what I meant with that word. Um, sometimes things are just a bit off. And on the other hand, you have you have fans, and uh, fans often actually want to translate things. And there, there's sort of two problems. One is that uh, the translations can be kind of idiosyncratic, not even necessarily bad, but idiosyncratic. And the other one is, uh, in practice, I do accept fan translations, but I feel bad because hey, I'm not paying you for this. You know, I, I live, I make my money off this. But um, I'm not paying you for this. So in practice, the game has had a number of contributions now by fans where, you know, honestly, people have just been like, please put this in the game, please put this in the game. And I even entered and said, like, okay, I will do this, but you have to understand that technically I'm exploiting you here. You're just giving me stuff and I'm not paying you for it. Hmm. But yeah, it's, it's, definitely, it's definitely hard. I don't think there's a... I don't really think there's a good solution to having really good translation without spending a huge amount of money, which I can't afford. Right. Um, so that's tough, and I'm not even sure what I'm going to do for future projects. Because um, sometimes I wonder, like, okay, there's a Chinese translation, but how many people in China use that one, and how many people are just like, oh, well, I'm going to use the English one because uh, it's better. Right. Well, that's a that's a good question. Then, is um, have you found it to be worthwhile the the time you put into translations, or, or sounds like you might not do it again, or or has it been? 
So obviously the problem with any of these, any question like this is that I can't, you know, look in the alternate universe where I didn't do it. For sure. um, I feel like it's been worthwhile, especially like um, about 10% or so or more sales are in China. And um, wow. I have the feeling that, you know, it wouldn't sell nearly as well if there wasn't a, uh, a um, simplified Chinese translation. So I think that's, um, I think it is probably worth it. Um, but I think it really depends on what kind of game you make. If it's like a huge, uh, if it's like a huge narrative game, then that's probably unsustainably expensive. Um, if it's like an abstract puzzle game where you need to translate exactly three words from the main menu, then yeah, sure, go ahead, translate it into three hundred languages. Yeah. So did you do uh, English and, and German yourself? Exactly. So I did English German myself, and then I uh, contracted out the other ones to a translation company, and um, have also received some um, um, feedback on, on translations and tried to improve them uh, based on what uh, players have been saying. Very cool. Yeah, I love that. Uh, I noticed uh, yesterday I was looking around uh, your Steam page, and you posted a, um, a really big uh, art and lore post. Yeah, you kind of described your universe and did some world building. I think that's so cool. And so, do, do you just you write the lore yourself? You, you just invent it and, and put it on paper? Yeah, totally. I mean, I kind of this is like a bunch of things I've been thinking about for a while. Sort of, you know, obviously, if you create a game, even if you don't put stuff into it explicitly, it's still useful to have an idea of what's going on in the background, so you don't contradict yourself too much. Also, you have some kind of underlying tone. And uh, I just, I find that people actually really like those, um, like this sort of background law stuff. Um, because obviously it's, it's, you know, when I'm a fan of a game, I really enjoy any additional information about this. You know, I'll be Definitely. just like reading, reading the development blog. I'll be reading the whatever and I'll be like, give me more. Um, and um, it's also a nice break because it's not programming, so it kind of engages different different aspects of it. Um, I love that, yeah. And uh, the other thing which I also found is I've also done some really in-depth articles or put in-depth articles on development. I really went into like, so yeah, this is how I fixed this bug or, you know, this is how I developed this. And people also really like those, like, you know, you don't, un don't underestimate the sort of technological interest of, of players that they want to know about these details. Yeah, I, uh, I'm a big fan of just game development in general. And I always assume everybody, I'm like, it's a devlog. People love those, right? Everybody wants to read a devlog. And then the reality hits sometimes where it's like, you know, your average gamer was probably not that interested. And I'm like, oh, oh, right, right. <laughs> it's just, it's just us creative types, but there's a lot of us, right? Yeah, I've actually found that like um, often like the boring devlogs are ones where you just sort of, you slip into this sort of marketing language and you just give them some screenshots and you're like, ah, oh, now you can do this, now you can do that, and we did this and so on. That's kind of boring. But, uh, you yeah, know, it's like um, like bug fixes um, or like, like here's a funny bug and here's how I fixed it. That can actually tell a really interesting story. So those can be a lot more engaging. Interesting. Um this is a total compliment. I, I bet you you probably get this sometimes. Is I got total uh, subset games vibes when I was playing airships. So like you know, a little, I got a, reminded a little bit of like uh, Into the Breach and mm -hmm. uh, FTL. I, I'm guessing you sometimes get some FTL comparisons because you've got that really cool mechanic where 
your ship, you can actually see the little characters walking around and moving between the modules in the ship, which is just so detailed and cool. Um, and I also noticed like, uh, this is a, a, a tip I picked up from the uh, subset games talk, which was they were introducing lore and personality into their game. And so they've got these buildings where the insects will attack the buildings. And these little text bubbles will appear where it's like, you know, mommy help or, you know, mm -hmm. and you've got those bubbles um, in airships. And I love that where I was like playing and I'm like, how am I doing? Oh, and my people were like, I'm bleeding. And I'm like, oh, that's not good. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah. I, the, um, I think the very first sort of elevator pitch of the game was steampunk FTL. I mean, it moved away from that, but that Beautiful. was sort of the, the initial thing. Makes a lot of sense. Yeah. I'm, I'm a big fan of, uh, of subset. I played a ton of End of the Breach. Um, oh, yeah, I mean, Into the Breach is just, I, it's definitely a game I'm really envious of, just in terms of like, oh, wow, it's such a good design. So good. Yeah, it's so clean. It's so smart. Um, mm, yeah, I, I'm super jealous on that one. Um, here's a question. So uh, the game's doing real well on Steam. Congratulations. Is this, is this something that you attribute to just having built a great product over a long period of time? Or do you, are you the kind of developer who gets, cause like I've got some friends who are like obsessed with the Steam numbers, right? Like they, when Steam sales are there, they, they jump into it and they, they look at the graphs and they know, you know, the Steam hardware analytics numbers, like they follow all that stuff. So I'm wondering where you fall on that spectrum. Like, do you just throw it out there and hope for the best? Or are you in there like, you know, fascinated by this, the Steam algorithm and trying to learn the Steam system? like? Where are you at in there? Maybe somewhere in the middle. So I've tried being really into those numbers. And um, I um, have done a bunch of, uh, like I did some regression analysis on them, for example. And uh, to be honest, um, they seem to be mostly nonsense. That's, um, yeah, that sounds right. So the thing is that I think you can, yes, I think, of course, you have to be on the ball. Of course, you have to be aware of what you're doing. But you can also really drive yourself mad by seeing patterns where honestly, because the thing is with a game my size, you know, one day to the next, sales would just double or half. And that's just the noise, you know. It's like, mm -hmm. I used to get really obsessed. Like, I know the game sold, only sold this number of copies. Everything's doomed. And nowadays I'm just like, you know, if there's a large scale trend, I'll notice eventually because there's so much noise. So yeah. I definitely think that somewhere the Steam algorithm likes the game, they're locked into something. Um, and I, you know, try to not upset it. And apart from that, I try to um, get, especially get, uh, you know, get YouTubers interested in it, try to get some visibility for the game. But um, I try to not drive myself mad with it. Uh, how do you go about that? Like that—that's it's almost like an art, right? Is is contacting the YouTubers? I've I've done a fair amount of that, and sometimes it's great success. Like I'll you know I'll have a hundred people ignore me, but then you get that one person who plays it, and you're like, yes. <laughs> how do you, yeah, do you totally. email them, or or how do you how do you do it? Uh, yeah, I wish I could, you know, share some amazing tips at this point, but I really can't. I just email them. I, I'm like, hi, I have this game. Here's some cool things about it. Here's a Steam key. Email me if you have any questions. And almost always I don't get an answer back. Um, okay. And then sometimes I get a very polite rejection and they usually say thank you for, you know, uh, bothering. And then very, very rarely, you know, it clicks. And um, sometimes it can be a huge success. Um, 
So it's all, it is worth it, but it's, yeah, it's not easy. And I don't think there's a silver bullet. Fair, yeah, good answer. Um, here's one I noticed, so I was reading your, reading your lore and also um, your game has really nice key art. There's some really cool looking characters who are gathered around like a war <laughs> map. It really sets the stage for like, you know, command these ships, which is you know, <laughs> totally the gameplay. Um, is that something that you went out and, and commissioned? Because you've got a bunch of different arcs, like plastered throughout the lore, and not just the key art, but a bunch of stuff in game. How do you get yeah. how do you get that done? Yeah, I, I commission people. Um, basically, I I, uh, I uh, find artists whose style I think fit the game, and then I, I commission the art for them. Um, I try to, you know, be a good uh, customer in the sense of actually giving them the information that they need and not be just like, oh, I make something like this, but be like, you know, here's a bunch of references, here's this kind of thing I would like, but maybe here's a sketch or whatever, so they actually have something to work from and then, of course, actually pay them on time. Uh, that sort of thing uh, I used to try to do. Um, because I used to do a lot of contract work and I know how annoying it is if you have a customer who's just vague and doesn't communicate. Uh, yeah, so so that's what I do because um, yeah, I try to do that myself and go very well. Yeah, I think it does make it. If, of course, you know it's it's definitely expensive, but I think it does make a difference in terms of giving people an idea of what it could kind of look like. Yeah, I think so. Uh, I saw some advice recently um, that was like somebody said they would put this is like a steam optimization thing, but they said they would put their entire marketing budget into just the little what do you call it, the little. Um, Thumbnail. The capsule, the, the capsule, yeah. That thing. yes, I think I like, saw I saw the same video. Yeah, it was like, look, if you've got five hundred dollars, pay an artist five hundred dollars to make a nice capsule image. Yeah, yeah I'll, I'll try to find that video and link to it if I can find it. I, I watched so many recently. I don't know if I'm going to remember which one that was, but I thought that was really surprising because um, what I'd heard that the advice, you know, advice changes as as the world changes, right? But oh yes. Previous advice, yeah, I, I heard was like trailer, 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 trailer. Make the best trailer ever, and then it was like key art more important and, and better bang for your buck, it sounds like. Mm -hmm. um, how about trailers? Is that something you make yourself or likewise do you commission them out? That's something I make myself um, with, with trailers. Um, I mean, it's, it's, it's a very amateur operation. I will basically um, use OBS to record a bunch of game footage and then I will put it into a really ancient copy of um, iMovie and um, oh, wow. like cut it together um, into, into little bits and then at the end of it um, you know I have a trailer and um, that's awesome. I don't, know, I don't know if it's as good as a professionally made one but it kind of works and you know as, as you know like the biggest the most important thing about trailers is make them short and show gameplay immediately but like do three logos and a narrative intro or something. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, I watched the trailers. I, I think they're super cool and they show so much cool visuals, uh, especially like the big graphics. Um, this is a fun question, I think. Is, um, so you've got these monsters, multiple different kinds of monsters with these huge tentacles that like, they kind of like break outside of the, the, the grid and, and they've got these really cool curves. Um, how did you get that done? That sounds like, difficult to render the graphics correctly difficult to, to to calculate collisions and all that right it sounds like a kind of a hard mm -hmm. problem so with the tentacles specifically the tentacles really have sort of like a physics-based animation um so it really it models 
the, the tentacles as a series of segments, and each of the segments has like a spring constant and a kind of a virtual muscle and so on. And the reason I did this was simply, I don't know anything about animation. So I was like, look, I don't know how to animate this properly, but I know some stuff about physics, so I'm just gonna simulate it instead and to tweak the simulation until it, it looks good. Um, and yeah, I'm very happy with it because I think it's really a cool visual thing of like, oh, wow, it's, oh, oh it's got one of my, Oh, it's eaten him. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think it was one of those things that I saw in the trailer where like, okay, cool. Oh, airships. I got it. Oh, super customizable. Very cool. And like, you know, real-time combat. And then these tentacles appeared like, whoa, like that kind of took the to the next level to me. You know what I mean? Where I was like, I mm -hmm. go from like interested to like, you know, walking down the marketing funnel. I'm like, okay, very cool. I'm from a game design point of view, of course, the point with uh, monsters is that monsters don't have to follow the same rules as airships. And mm -hmm. so they can create these interesting challenges of having to pick specific tactics to fight against them. Very cool. Yeah, I like that a lot. Um, so I'm wondering, uh, what, what's, what's next for you? Do you have, like, is there any time that you would eventually stop with airships or is it like your lifetime game and and do you have another game that's starting to speak to you you know what i mean is there another game uh yeah i so i have a perfectly nice and very fun prototype uh for a new game that's been around for a while actually i'm not working on that right now i'm working on an expansion pack for airships cool. um both because I want to, like, um, I think the update launch went really well. I'm quite motivated to to put some more stuff in there. And also because, as I said before, right now, I, I literally don't know what engine I would use for a new project. Mm. I honestly want to bite my time for a year or so and see what happens in that space. Wow. Um, it's a good spot to be in. It's okay because I can do that. And uh I think people, uh, you know, have been telling people a bit about the um, the expansion pact, where the idea is you, you can have like uh, heroes, like captains you can get for your ships, which can give them special abilities and so on. Ooh. And I think that will be a really cool addition. It's a, kind of an obvious one, but I think it will be cool. And so, yeah, I'm, I'm working on that right now. Oh, I love that. Yeah, that, that's great that you can, uh, you can take the time to wait. Because I'm doing something similar where like, my next code base probably would not be built on Unity. And like, I'm doing what I think a lot of people are doing where I'm waiting until Godot 4 comes out before I mm -hmm. seriously investigate Godot because I don't want to have to relearn. And I've kind of already done that with some Unity packages where it's like, oh, you're doing that the old way. There's a new way now. And I'm like, oh, so anyway, that's how Godot 3 to 4 is going to be like that, I'm sure. So I'm like, I'm just going to wait. But it's a brutal wait. And you can't wait forever, right? Yeah, totally. No, I, d I don't intend to work in airships until, you know, death, uh, at least I hope not. Um, but right now, I feel like, yeah, I want to do an expansion. That will be fun, and then we'll see. I am fascinated by the games where the developers are just like, I might never stop working on this game, like uh, Dwarf Fortress. Like, yes, for yes. What I, I don't follow it very closely. I know some people are obsessed, but, like, I, I haven't heard a whisper of them being like, you know, we're thinking about starting to wind down. Like, I haven't heard that. In fact, you know, in recent years, it's now being published by Kit Fox, and it's got ui updates and graphic packages i'm like you know i don't know how long they've been working on it but it's uh, <clears throat> got to be approaching two decades or something and yeah i mean you know as long as the game is uh is, is paying your bills and you don't want to stop like why right <laughs> do, yeah, do totally. i think as long as you're having fun creating this um 
creating this thing and inhabiting this sort of world, that, that's great. Um, and I think, you know, once, unless you once again become sprawling enough, it incorporates so many different elements anyway that you're just, you're working on one end for, of it for a while, then you work on something else. And the game's big enough that it's almost as if you were working on two different games. So um, I like that. That kind of works. I like that. Yeah. And it creates, for, especially for a solo developer, that would create less like, um, less work for you to like, if you only have the one game, you don't have to create another Steam page and worry about marketing that or cut, you know, you could just be like everything into this one uh, game. I like that. Of course, of course, it's a totally eggs in one basket thing. I mean, my um, nightmare scenario is that Steam does something to their algorithm and all of a sudden no one buys my game anymore. If that happens, I will cope somehow, but it doesn't. Oh, I hope that doesn't happen too. Uh, I think it's a really cool game. Uh, I will definitely link to it in the show notes. Hope everybody checks it out. Airships, Conquer the Skies. Super cool. Last episode, I announced my new game, Witchmore. I love it. I just like saying it. Anyway, I wanted to thank everyone for all the lovely emails and Discord messages and Twitter DMs. Uh, it's so exciting to me that you're already telling me you'll buy the game. That's very encouraging. Thank you. Sadly, there's no itch or Steam page yet, uh, and so you can't buy Witchmore at the moment, but there are other ways to support the show, including buy my tutorial package, Making Big Indie Games. For 100 bucks, you get a, about a movie's worth of game dev tutorials walking you through how to increase the scope of your game. Check out the Amazon wishlist for gear to help make the show. Write a review for Make the Game on your favorite podcast app. That helps a lot. And subscribe, like, share, you know, all those YouTube things. Before we go, my question for you is, what's your favorite dish? Favorite recipe? What's different about them? What's similar about them? Do this again with video games. To answer, tweet at me or send me a voice recording at anchor.fm. Thank you for listening. You're being played out by Action Strike, which you are free to use in your own projects. Now it's time for you to go make the game. Thank you.